Welcome back to the show. This is Everything's Interesting with Jesse Mogul. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for stopping by. Today's guest is Lydia Taggart. She is the host of the BBM radio show, Layers of Communication, as well as the author of the program, Layers of Communication. She is going to show you how different ways of communicating with people within your family or your workplace, basically your entire life, is all based upon layers. And if you know how to really dissect those, you'll have better communication with those that you interact with frequently, those that you love, and those that you really just want to have a better relationship with. If one of the things you're looking to change about 2018 is the way in which you communicate with those around you, you're going to be thrilled that you stopped by today. 54321, it's showtime. Welcome to the show, Lydia. It's so great to finally get you on the microphone. I'm so excited to be here, Jesse. Thank you. Absolutely. We had a chance to lean back. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like it wasn't that long ago, yet so much has changed, so much growth in our lives. And you know, when I started talking to you about everything that you're involved in and the programs you do and, and, the, and how you're out there helping people, you were just a perfect, seamless fit, if you will, right for you know the theme of my season two, which is today is the day to start making that change. Uh, you really help uh, a lot of people, and these are actionable steps that you've put together, you know, that you've used in your own life and have been able to see the changes happen immediately. Yes, and I love that it's an immediate change. You can actually see the changes in the behavior and the environment around you and your relationship, and it's simple. It doesn't have to be simple. You host your own radio show called Layers of Communication, and you, there's, you, get a, you get a lot of listeners to that. You're really happy with, with your turnout through that. What is it that you're trying to get your listeners to understand about your methods of communication and how quickly they can use them and change? It's called Layers of Communication, and it's about communicating to the core, the center of who we are, that life is full of experiences, and when we have these experiences, it adds on to who we are, and we have all these layers stacked onto us and we're at the center, but sometimes, often actually, we get stuck in one of those layers. Like for me, I was stuck in just a mom for a while. But it's not our identity. We're not what we do. It's just an added experience. As we look through these layers, it, inter it interferes a lot with how we interact with other people in our world. And if we can't see where they're coming from because their layers are so different than ours, then there's a lot of... Um, just headbutting. We can't figure out how to relate to them. We can do this. Uh, one of my programs is Frame Thingy. When we pick up a frame, we can change the frame of reference, and that relates to the layers that we're seeing through in our life and our experiences. We can change how we relate to people when we change our frame. Yeah, I've done a lot of studying and learning, and I've done a lot of reframing myself just, just in the last 10 and a half months since I got sober about you know, I had an issue with looking through a negative frame a lot and just being able to just change the perspective. Like even, it's not even, it's changing the perspective, but it's not actually, it's not changing the facts. There's just a different way of your mind to reword what you're saying or, or a different way of you to look at it where it can actually be seen as positive. You know, it's like 
like traffic seems to be something that keeps coming up in all my inter- interviews and conversations for this season. You could sit there and be mad about traffic and have, see it in a negative light, or you could think, what a great opportunity to listen to my favorite podcast or my favorite radio station, my favorite radio show that you and I just happen to host. You know, like, it's like oh, I don't, I'm not angry about the traffic. It gives me a chance to listen to Blinkist, or it gives me a chance to listen to some of my favorite music over and over and over again. So uh, there's a reframing. Do you find other people who – uh, maybe aren't familiar with the idea of reframing, do you, do you see a little pushback, a little hesitation for them to be able to do it, or is it something that they can seamlessly get into once you've shown them the advantage of it? I don't see any pushback at all. It is really easy. It's simple. The only things that would make it hard for someone to change their frame of reference or to complete the change would be just that they don't believe it's possible. And after we had a conversation and we get into this place where they can see that they are in charge of how they see the world, so they are really more than just of whatever they feel in that blanket, then it's really easy. Those simple steps. It's really simple. And um, one of my favorite examples is my kids. We're a traffic light. You maybe think of this. We would go, and every single time we are on the freeway, we would get this light red, and it was a forever long light. It was so long. And every day, my kids would complain that we were sitting at this light that just would never turn green. And one of my favorite tools is a timer. I carry a timer around with me everywhere. Probably most people do now on their phones because I have a regular time thing. Anyway, one day I decided we're going to time it and see how long it really is and change our perspective on this. And it was two and a half minutes that we would sit at that light. And before we knew that it was really just two and a half minutes, it was like this. 10 or 20 minutes, and we just, they never complained again. After we knew it was two and a half minutes, we got to the light and the okay, I guess we're going to sit here for two and a half minutes. I love that. And it was completely changed instantly. I love that. I was, I, I, I am that kind of person that I would have timed it as well, and then I would turn it into a game and be like, what? What do I want to do in my car for the next two and a half minutes where I don't have to worry about looking out the windshield? And I'd, be like, I'd be reorganizing my middle console. I'd be, you know, I'd be like, I think my glove box needs to be cleaned out today. <laughs> yeah, we do stuff like that. We're like, okay, what's on the billboard that we're sitting next to today? How can we turn that into a funny story? Or um, we do funny things. That like how, how many red cars will pass in two and a half minutes? Or we just... I'm with a bunch of kids, so it's over. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I find it beautiful when people take the opportunity to reframe something into a positive light because for whatever reason, you know, as, uh, I'll speak for myself and not for every, my listeners or anyone else out there, but it just seems like my brain wants to kick into a negative state with stuff like why am I being punished by this two-and-a-half-minute light or, you know, why, you know, it's a – Instead of being like, oh, why did I, you know, I only got four hours of sleep. Oh, well, with me, I wish I'd have gotten more sleep. Instead of being like, wow, I was so excited to be working on this particular project last night that rather than going to bed at my normal 10 o'clock, that I was up till 10 o'clock, you know, and it's like, let's just switch it up a little bit in your mind. And all of a sudden, like, there's a, I get an intense boost of energy when I turn things from negative to positive in my head because all of a sudden I see the benefits rather than the detractors. Do you, do you, what do you, what's your thoughts on that idea? Oh, absolutely. There's power in gratitude. I put gratitude in one of our layers on the program. We have layers, language layers. Um, gratitude is so powerful, and it's natural. It's actually 
like scientifically proven. I don't know the exact person studied it today. But it has been proven the more that you try to be positive and the more you're trying to change on that that initial change time frame that you're making that change be positive from negative, more negative comes. And it's like the lobsters in the bucket try to pull the other lobsters back down and you're trying to get out of the bucket and get into a new place. And you literally get pulled back by the negative thoughts that come to us. And my favorite way to combat that is increase our gratitude. Gratitude will pull us. We don't even have to try and push ourselves. Gratitude will pull us to where we want to go. And the more gratitude we can have, the more uh, personal power that we have. And it overlays accomplishment energy and just all these things. Gratitude is right up there with the power of love to make the world go around. That's something I've learned a lot in my in my drinking classes is that you're living a life where you base a lot, if not all of it, based on being humble and being grateful. And those were two things that I often thought I was living in that sphere. I really did. And then, you know, you start to really dissect your actions and your speech patterns and, and the way you communicate with others and the way you treat yourself inside your head. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, I'm not being either humble or grateful right now. And changing that up and reframing that, there's a certain lightness that one gets from being able to start seeing things from that perspective. Yes, and seeing things, that's one of my favorite tools, too, that actually seeing what's in your head. Because we think a lot of times, a lot of my clients, oh, I'm a positive person. I don't have negative thoughts. That's not really happening. But if you pay attention to what are you really thinking and if you write it down, you can see what's really going on. And at the end of the day, I have some of my clients just track and journal what are the thoughts in your head. Like every so often in the time of those up, what am I thinking right now? Oh, it's a positive thing. Yes. Or it's not a positive. And at the end of the day, you count it up and go, oh, I really only had three positive thoughts the whole day. And look at all that other negative stuff that's been happening. And it's shocking sometimes to see how much we really are not positive. But once we see it, then we can change it. That's a really valid point because I'm one of those people who constantly thinks that he's positive, and it's like, am I? Am I? Let's start. Let's start keeping a tab, like a score sheet. What have you thought negative today? Versus like, and be honest with yourself. It's like when I ask my clients to uh, to keep a food diary, and uh, yeah, I think you've got to be honest. Like anything that enters in your mouth, it's a, I don't care if it's one M M&M, and M, it has to be written down in the food diary. And I generally, you know, generally they'll come back to me and be like, wow, you know, like I lost weight and I felt better. And all I had to do was just write down my food for a week. Like I can't wait to see where this grows from here. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, when you start to be mindful of what you put in your mouth or what your actions or how you speak or how you think, all of a sudden you're like, it's like the two and a half minute traffic light. Mm-hmm. It's not so bad once you know actually how long it is. And awareness is the first step of changing your frame of reference to anything. You've got to be aware of where you are. And it needs to be honest, be honest with ourselves. Is that something that I am in charge of? Is that my belief or is that someone else's belief that I'm buying into? And do I want to change it? Is there value in changing it? Or sometimes those frames are there to protect us. And maybe we still need to be protected. Maybe we don't. Maybe it's time to move on and 
expand our horizons a little bit and get a bigger frame, see a bigger picture, that sometimes we might not be ready yet. And so then that awareness of do I want to get ready and what do, what do I need to do to get ready to change my frame? So there's a whole bunch of uh, layers, <laughs> call them layers. There's layers to every process. So let's talk about another program that's not out yet, and you're still playing around with the name. It's called Improving Communications and Manipulation. And that word, manipulation, has been coming up a lot in my various teachings and learnings and just things that I'm talking about. I had a time where I was like, what can I help people with? What is it that I can help? And so I posted on Facebook, what is it that you want to know more about? How can I help you? Just to everybody. And I had a family member who had just a few days before um, her daughter had tried to commit suicide. And so when I saw her respond, I said, I don't care what her response is, that's the answer I'm going to go for, I, even if she's the only one who asks for this particular thing. And she said she, she doesn't want to be manipulated anymore. And so it really pulled at my heart. But I also found out she wasn't the only one who felt that way. And as we've gone through um, different families, a lot of people feel like their kids are manipulating them. Uh, they're manipulated by their employers. They just feel like they are forced to do stuff. They don't have this agency. But they don't feel like they're in charge of, of their choices. And that kind of led into more of our self-sabotage, that when we don't feel like we're in charge, we have no choice or option, then we self-sabotage. And that goes back to the negative self-talk as well. And I love how all my programs are kind of intermingled with the same topic, but getting deeper each time I continue to study these things. But I found if we improve our communication, that is the key to ending this feeling of manipulation. When we can communicate more clearly, more deeply, we, we know who we are, we know our values, we can overcome the guilt, go through the forgiveness languages, go through the love languages and everything. If we can be clear enough with who we are and what we want and express that in a way to the other people that we're trying to communicate with, they won't be offended, they'll be like understanding that you have a different plan or a different goal in mind and there's no more manipulation. I feel like I've come across people who enjoy the manipulation aspect. It's whether the those who, you know, they 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 like they they feed off of the drama that they can create in in their lives, and and they can also spread that drama out to other people. It's, it seems like the manipulation aspect is just their bread and butter. It's their wheelhouse. The drama that's necessary to fuel their existence. Um, will those right. people be able? To, Will they be able to get in line and, and really take something from this program, or is it more of, like, do they have to be ready for that change? Or can they read this and say, wow, I can't believe that this is how I've been acting. How much better would life be if, if I communicated better and I was more harmonious with those around me? Yes, well, it needs to be something that um, they're open to. The, the problem with it is if, they are one of those people who love and feed off of this manipulation game. It's a, it's a defensive mechanism. And there's something that's causing them to feel like they need to interact with people this way. Sarcasm is right up there, too. 
their defensive mechanisms and and we play it off like it's just funny or it's a joke or whatever, but there's something that they're trying to, to hide or get over. There's something else there that's causing it. It's like bullies. We we don't go to a bully and say, hey, you need a hug. you got to work up to that because the bully has probably been bullied or there's some sort of reason why they're being a bully. And there's I, I view manipulators as bullies, personally. I think they're in the same category. And there's something that's been going on. Maybe they don't know how to do it. Maybe they don't even see it. And, you know, there's some people that you look at and you're like, wow, they have everything in line. They're millionaires. They've got the perfect family. They've got the perfect car, the perfect everything. And it must be fake because there's no way that that could be possible. And sometimes that relationships are like that too. We look at people and say, oh, they can't really be happy. That's just not possible. But it is. All of those things are possible. Everything is possible. You know, I have quadruplets. I believe in miracles. Everything is possible. And when we need to be able to step out and make our frame big enough to see that that really is a possibility to have an improved communication and you don't have to manipulate people. I cannot let that comment you just said slide by because I talked to you multiple times and did not know you had quadruplets. Me had kids and not quadruplets. <laughs> That's intense. <laughs> Four kids at the same time. I mean, one would I, – I, I think I let my last plant die, and I didn't even mean to. I think I actually overwatered it and overtalked to it, and I gave it too much sunshine. And so not that I'm comparing plants to kids, but I can't even keep a plant going. And you had four kids at the same time. I did. I, I had two boys first, and this is what really put me into the communication world because I needed to know how to connect and communicate, not just with my kids, but with all the people who were coming and going and helping us. And, and um, when we had our quadruplets, I was on bed rest, and my oldest boy was just barely turning four, and he shut down and wouldn't talk to anybody. We found out that he had Asperger's syndrome. So that's where I really got my my real big passion for communicating with people. Yeah, I mean, what was what was that experience like? I mean, you find out your your four year old has Asperger's at the same time that you have four quadruplets. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty exciting. Well, um, I had a four year old, a three year old, and then all the four babies. And I took my four year old to the psychologist, psychiatrist, we went to so many people, I don't remember which one he was, but he said, and he was my second or third opinion about his diagnosis, and the first diagnosis, let's back up a little bit, my first diagnosis person, they said, he's got Asperger's, so how are you? Let's fix you. Let's set you up for counseling, and how are you? I'm like, this is not about me. This is about helping my son. He needs to be able to talk to people. And putting me in therapy is not helping him enough. And so I went and I found the second opinion, and it felt so much better. They're like, oh, we can do this and this, and here's what's going on. And it made so much sense. And I said, while we're here, find out what's wrong with that kid, because my other son was completely the opposite. went completely out of control, bonkers of, you're not giving me attention. I'm going to make sure I get the attention I need. So I had these two extreme reactions to having the quads and then we also have the quadruplets but um so i i 
just learn things intensely. <laughs> I just need to. It's an intense ride. How on earth do you have time to put together multiple programs and host a radio show? You, you, a, do you have an octopus arm? When I met you, did I only see two of the eight <laughs> appendages on your body? Because I don't. Again, I can I, I can barely juggle the the multiple businesses in the podcast I run. I, there's no way I can have time to have six kids. <laughs> well, I've learned a lot, a lot. And it's funny that you say octopus because I would tell my kids I'm not an octopus and they each need to learn their own responsibilities. And a lot of times, you know, as parents, we're like, well, they're not learning how to clean their room. I'll just clean their room for them or whatever. They don't know how to do this. It'll be faster if I do it for them. But then in the long run, they never learn how to do it themselves. So we continue to do it for them, and it takes a lot more time than if we just say, okay, this week we're learning how to make your bed. That's what we're doing this week. Everybody learn how to make your bed. And next week, everybody's learning how to, oh, potty training. That was exciting, too. Everybody, it's time to potty. <laughs> it's, like, it's like walking the dogs. All dogs, you're all going to the bathroom at the same time. Get on the same cycle. I'm not doing this six separate times. <laughs> Yeah, and when we um, manage ourselves and we manage our time in a way that's efficient, then oh, miracles can really, really happen when we're able to manage ourselves. That's what it really boils down to. And um, I've got a free ebook on my website right now about time and how we do this because I think time is what overlays everything. It's not necessarily a love language in itself because you can't do anything else without time. You have to have time. So I've kind of got it in its own category. It's not really, uh, it doesn't fit for me as a love language. And everybody wants quality time. And anytime you're doing anything else, it is time. So um, compartmentalizing your day, blocking off the, the priorities and um we had a nanny for a couple of months, and she came in, and the, the kids were babies, and they had, like, the whole neighborhood coming and helping us, and we put laundry out on the doorstep. Somebody would come and pick it up and take it away and wash it. Somebody else would bring back another load that was folded. Somebody else would come in the house and put it away. We had okay. labels well, all where over do you, the Where do you live? Oh. Disney World? I mean, <laughs> If I leave something on my front porch, it gets taken by the homeless people across the street, and I'm watching them wear my stuff later. I, I know you live in Utah, but do you live in, like, some utopia? <laughs> well, I think if you claim your world, then that's what it is. What you focus on is what you get. And I, I really amazing. believe that. We, we have had our cars broken into several times. But one of our funny things right now, we – don't have a garage door opener because somebody stole the button from the car and I haven't made it a high enough priority to fix and get a new garage door opener. So we just don't park in the garage unless we go into the house and push the button and then go get in the car and park it in the garage again. But, you know, it's, it's a little thing. It's not something really to worry about. I think that it's much better that gratitude that we talked about earlier, the power of gratitude can pull you through anything. And if you make your frame, if you choose to have a positive, happy frame, then that's what you're going to live in with enough that's, budget. That's what you're going to get. 
that, that's such a powerful message, and it's so amazing that all of your neighbors took the time to step up and help you with the quads. How old are the quads now? They're 12 now. Yeah. Wow. I was going to okay. tell you, too, about the, the time frames. We had this nanny come over, and she says, what do you need? Because I was drained at that time. And I said, I need to sleep. I need these babies on a schedule. The end. That's what I need. And so she went around. This was her job. She's getting paid for it. She would take the babies out of grandma's arms. It didn't matter who it was. She said, it is nap time. And after a month or so, she came to me. We had her as a nanny for about four months. And I think our babies were about eight months old when she was done. She came and she said, you know what? They're on a schedule and you don't need me anymore. And I said, you know what? You're right. We are systemized, and we are ready to go. Thank you. And she's actually, I'm very excited for her. She's still one of my very best friends because um, we work together. I didn't just pass the kids off on her. I needed an extra set of arms to be that octopus, right? So she's having her first baby this weekend, I hope. I'm so excited for her. Well, that's super awesome. I can only hope that she doesn't need as much help as you did. We're <laughs> <laughs> only having one. So, yeah, and because right. and she yeah. did all that with four, she should be able to get her kid on the sleep schedule and everything much more efficiently than you were able to get four on the same sleep cycle. If we have a priority and we make it known and communicate to everybody else around us, this is the highest priority right now, then that's, that's what's going to happen. If everybody can understand and know and agree that, yeah, that's a priority, then that's how you make you know, just magic happens. You can move any kind of mountain. And end manipulation, step into your power, whatever you want to do. If you can communicate it effectively and get other people on board, then you're going to achieve that goal. I like that we're talking about communication and time because I, I have issues with my time management. I, I try to pack so much into a day that I don't really give myself a lot of room for um, error, flexibility, fluidity, whatever you might want to say. And I'm noticing that when I stop trying to cram, you know, I, I call these things Pomodoros. I learned it from a, from a blink. Some people, some people have heard of Pomodoro. Other people haven't. But this guy came up with this tomato egg timer idea a long time ago, and you give yourself like 25 to 45-minute blocks and a little 5 to 15-minute break, and you just set up all your tasks in this in this manner. Uh, and I love mm -hmm. doing that. My problem was I wasn't giving myself enough time for, you know, if something did get in the way, you know, oh, this Pomodoro just got ruined because I have to take this phone call. I've been expecting this client's call. And so by putting in a little bit more wiggle room in my days and not trying to slam it full and just spreading out these tasks over multiple days, I find that the likelihood to get finished and I don't get frustrated much higher, and then it puts me in a better frame of mind to have these little victories, like Browning used to say, get these, gotta get these little victories. And the little victories add up to much bigger victories, and it's all based on how am I managing my time. Because I'd love to sit around and watch three hours of television sometimes, but <laughs> I can't do it guilt-free if I know that there's things I need to do. So if I manage my time correctly throughout the entire day, then I get to watch one hour of the Blacklist or the Blacklist or something like that, uh, and I get to enjoy it and feel like I've earned it rather than trying to put it in the middle of my day when I know I should be working. I've practiced a little bit of that. I, I don't remember where I learned it. I think I learned it somewhere else. It's the same kind of concept where you have um, 20 minutes. I was doing this when I was writing my book. 
20 minutes, and then no matter where you are, you are forcing yourself, that time is done. It's time to stand up and wiggle and get a drink or whatever, and the time for five minutes, and then go back. And it's really amazing how refreshing that little five-minute break is. Like you can just, it increases the creative, creativity and productivity when you have a break. Yeah, I feel like workplace environments, I mean, I haven't worked in a cubicle in so long because I don't really understand corporate America and I understand the concept of it, but I don't have, a, you know, anything recent to fall back on as far as experience goes. Mm-hmm. But it seems like there's a lot of uh, hard-driving workplace kind of attitudes going on where people are expected to sit down at their desks for multiple hours uh, and just try to plan something out. And I, I've got a friend who does a lot of copywriting for different blogs and different companies and she'll say, you know, I'll write for 25, 35 minutes and then I'll get up and walk away from it for an hour or two, do other things and come back with fresh eyes and all of a sudden the paragraph I couldn't quite get figured out, figures itself out right before my very eyes. I'm like, yeah. And then, so that sounds like exactly what you're talking about. Just stand up in the situation, walk away and, you know, there's issues of communication there too. You How you're communicating to yourself if I walk away, will I come back and be more prepared for this, or should I just keep trying to hammer it out? And I, I found for myself, hammering it out does not work. It doesn't. It doesn't work. And a lot of times with writer's block, we sit there and we're like, oh, I've got to figure this out. Oh. Or if we're trying to have a relationship improved, we'll sit there and we'll worry ourselves all night, not sleep or something, trying to figure out how to improve that relationship with the person or you know, we just sit there and stress over it, and the more we stress over it, our our brain actually puts out the hormones that block our receptors in our in our neural pathways. That um, if you're stressed, you cannot improve anything. You just, you're trying to take care of your body, and you're stressing out. And um, that's why I made sleep our number one priority when we have the quadruplets, is you have to take care of yourself. And if you're too stressed, Nothing is going to progress the way you want to. Getting up and taking a break, it fixes writer's block. It fixes just about everything if you can take a vacation. They say that um, the United States is the most stressed out nation. We have the least vacation time of any other country. Um, um, There's a correlation there. Oh, yeah. I, you know, there's a Blinkist book I remember listening to. I think it was talking about the importance of sleep and how at the turn of the century, there was the Industrial Revolution. I uh, don't think it was Henry Ford. I want to say maybe it was Thomas Edison that used to, you know, say, oh, I only get four hours of sleep. And he would drive his employees to get less and less sleep and work more and more. And it's, it's just not healthy. I think Henry Ford, when he came up with the assembly line and started having people do shifts and realizing that the productivity would raise substantially because people felt rested. And I, I run into this issue. As a, as a solopreneur and an entrepreneur running multiple companies with different people, you want to accomplish so much and then what ultimately ends up happening, like right now, I'm on a, I think I'm on day five or six in a row of less than five hours sleep, and three of those are less than four hours of sleep. And I don't feel good. I don't feel like my best self. And I'm noticing that, you know, like now I want to get like these little napkins during the day. <laughs> Uh, which I normally never want to do. And uh, so by depriving myself of those extra couple hours of sleep at night, I'm actually causing me to either be brain foggy now or end up trying to squeeze in like an hour, hour and a half 
which screws up my sleep cycle and ultimately cuts my workday time of productivity out instead of just getting that there. So I guess I say all of that because for those listeners out there who see this happening to themselves as well, you know, you've got that, that free ebook on your website. What is, what's some actionable steps they could take to start to fix with their time management skills right now? I mean, they should all go to your website and get the free ebook and come on people. It's free, but let's just say they're listening to this in the car right now. What's something that they can actually think, Oh, I could do that. And I can start doing that today. Okay. Yeah. The first thing to do is to decide what is your priority and most of the time we think that we have 500 fires that all need our attention right now. They're all a number one priority. But are they really the number one priority? Is there a domino that's bigger than the others that will knock everything else out? If I got more sleep, what would the effect be if that getting more sleep was my number one priority? Or do I need to lay off the sleep a little bit and keep that program running the way it is? And um, change the way I'm eating. Is that the number one priority? Because eating better takes more time and planning and stuff too. So the first thing is to decide what is the biggest priority, what will get the biggest bang for my buck or my time spent on improving. And put that out there that that is the number one priority. And then also when you're deciding that, make sure that it's your goal. It's not like somebody else is trying to tell you that that's what it should be. Because I'm not going to say sleep is the number one priority, but it really is for me. So you've got to decide that for yourself. What is your number one priority? Do you really need five hours of sleep? Is that good for you? Or do you need something more like ten because you've been running on four hours of sleep for so many days? So that's the first thing is decide what it is and kind of look into the future in your mind and see what would happen if I changed this or that. What would the end result be? So you can kind of get a visualization of where you're going to go and is that somewhere you want to be. And then you can block your time. And I learned this the first or second year that I was married. I was working as a receptionist at a business and they sent me to a, a seminar and they were teaching about blocking your time. And you have time to write your memos or whatever it, it is, and you have time to answer calls, and you have time to make calls, or you have time to eat your food, and blocking your time, like we're not going to check our email every time it pings, or our text messages. Okay, I'm going to check my messages, assign it a time, give it a chunk of time at a time on your schedule, and then really don't check your messages until it's that time. With if they're sending a message, it's a message that you can reply to any time. And this is one of the things that I think we we all fall prey to this misbelief. I I think that any time someone's trying to contact us, it's an emergency, high priority, must be answered right now kind of thing. But it's not. They can wait five minutes. They can wait two hours. If it is a priority like fire alarm kind of thing, then they will call you. Or they will try, like, hey, you didn't message me back. Are you okay? I really need to talk to you. It's okay to put people off for a couple hours while you're doing your higher priority activity. And I think that's probably the number one biggest thing, that everything's not really an emergency. 
that's a really good point that you make, Lydia. I feel every job has problem-solving skills as its number one priority. It's like, you're like, what's the issue? What, what, what do we need to fix? What do we need to build? Okay, now we've built that. What are the issues coming now? It's like there's problem-solving in every single person's job, and they really looked at it, and it's probably their number one job focus at any given point of the day. And assuming everything is a fire is, is my number one issue. Like, it, it's, you know, somebody calls, and it's like, oh, i got to take the phone call. I've, I've ignored them the last two times. Or, you know, they get upset if I don't pick up their phone call. But it's not a fire, and making things into a fire that aren't is actually, one, it's just detrimental to my workflow, but two, to my my positive energy. Is it really an emergency? I mean, if somebody's house is really on fire and they call and you don't answer, they can always just text and say, seriously, my house is on fire right now. And in that case, I tell them, why aren't you calling 911? What the hell am I supposed to do about it? Why? Why? You know, so, you know, is it really, is it really that big of a priority? Like, I, I get it. You know, you, you, you came up with an idea, you're really passionate about this, you know, I'm passionate about it, you want to call me, you, well, your fire's hot, uh, that's fine, but if I'm in the middle of editing this episode, or I'm in the middle of building the Bitcoin program I'm putting together, some people I know it's not going to be a five-minute phone conversation, it's going to be half hour, 45 minutes, and like, I don't have that half hour, 45 minutes right now. And so, I've going back to your communication points where earlier, I noticed that whenever I pick up the phone, if I say, hey, I've only got 10 minutes. I was like, but I didn't want to hit the end. You caught me during a break. Perfect time. But when that 10 minutes is done, you know, even if they're still wanting to flow, I've got to let you go, you know, write down a note to somewhere and let's, let's pick it back up later. And it might hurt their feelings a little bit or they might be like, oh, come on, man. You know, I'm more important than just your schedule. It's like I've got to keep this. So I'm going to end up laying in bed feeling guilty about the rest of, about my day because I didn't accomplish the things that I knew I could. You know, I set realistic goals and I still did not hit them. Or worse, I'm going to start cutting into my sleep. And the next thing you know, it's going to be day six on five hours of sleep or less. So there's a lot of communication that goes, too, with, with, with this. If people are trying to reach out to you with their own fires, when you're still trying to put out your own fires. Right. And then also, if we had that time set aside and we were obedient to ourselves, saying this is my priority, when we're obedient to that, then they can call them back and not be like, oh, I haven't called you back for a couple of days, and they've called twice, and I, oh. And we kind of create a fire when we don't set aside that time. That's true as well, because if you just call them up at the end of your, at 5 o'clock when your day's done, or, you know, in some people's cases, 8 o'clock when your day's done, say, hey, you know, sorry, I had to send you the voicemail. And I'll text those people back, like, sorry, in the middle of a workflow, I'll call you back at 8, then 8 o'clock hits. And I'll schedule out five phone calls with that 15-minute increment. And, you know, mm-hmm. in my, when I talk to the people, like, yeah, yeah, I got 15 minutes. I'm trying to return all my phone calls from the day. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I think more people need to, to see the importance of is the time management and the communication that comes with that so that they don't start taking things out of their own life that they find important or they want to find more importance in. Because when I've done that, I've, if I start to lose the things I find important, because I'm trying to help other people with their fires or always be respectful of, of, of them when they call or they want to interrupt what I'm doing, then little resentments start to form. And have you seen that in some of your clients? That it's like you keep taking things off of your list that you really want to do and replacing them with other people. At some point, like those little resentments towards that person will add up into, you know, a Mariana's trench of resentment that then is really difficult to climb out of. Yes, yes. And that's when I was stuck in the I'm just a mom thing. And granted, I had six kids under the age of four, and I needed to be a mom. But then I got stuck there years later. I was like, oh, I'm just a mom. And I 
was resenting my kids, and I didn't like it, and I wanted to change it around. So that I mean, resentment is is like the number one stress that we don't ever pay attention to things that we resent. We try to hide them and sweep them under the covers or the rug, and it's one of those negative thoughts that we don't count up at the end of the day because we're trying to be positive. I'm being a great mom. I'm doing stuff for my kids. But it's it's an underlying current that kind of washes away the foundation for those positives when we have resentment. And um, it sours our soul when we have resentment. It really does. You know, it, it, because it can happen in just these little tiny increments, it's like I weigh out a lot of my food. At first, when I start to eat new things, to make sure I can visually see what, you know, 100 ounces of broccoli is or something like that. And, you know, mm-hmm. if, you're weighing, if you're weighing out your resentment, they can show up like little tiny Skittles or anything, you know, you just try to put them in a bowl and they don't, they don't weigh a lot. And, you know, one does not weigh a lot. A hundred weighs quite a lot. And those little resentments will add up and now you have them and you want to be able to reframe yourself out of them. But if you're not having that communication with the person who caused it, even if it's like, hey, this is not your fault, but I took every one of your phone calls for a month and it cut into each one of my days by 30 minutes, and I wanted to be there for you, but in the process of being there for you, I was taking away from myself, and it's caused me to have resentment towards you. I just want to let you know, and you know, I'm not going to take your phone calls as much anymore. I'm going to cut them down to five minutes. But if you don't have that communication, and you and you on those little resentments have grown, then you you can't just reframe without having to have that conversation. It's just my theory. Uh, what, what's your what's your piece on that? Right, I agree. I think that the resentment is more like a grain of rice, though, because it's so small and hard to see. And if somebody, you're like, you're filling up your cup one grain at a time, and if somebody comes and they bump you or they they tap that nerve and you spill your rice all over, it's hard to find all the pieces. And it's a big cleanup project when you have that much resentment and it spills all over and it bounces under the cupboards and and you can't sweep it up. you got to find the vacuum to get under the nooks and crannies. And um, it's really a mess to clean up if you've um, collected too much resentment. And then we, we walk around trying to protect it, you know. We, we don't want to spill our cup, but it's not a positive cup. It's negative and so if we spilled something wonderful like what would something wonderful be in a cup um i don't know i like the way vanilla smells if i had a cup of vanilla then i wouldn't worry as much as if i had to clean up the rice that bounced all over i like rice too but it makes a bigger mess yeah i can picture that (laughs) i've spilled rice before so i know how much you're finding rice four months later yeah they they used to put rice in the cars or throw rice at weddings and stuff like that. <laughs> it goes yes, I, I think I think they stopped throwing rice at at weddings because um like New York pigeons were eating the rice and then it was expanding in their stomachs and they were blowing up or something. I don't know if that's a oh. an urban a legend, but have you ever heard that story? I, I don't know if it's a, a Urban legend. I don't want to put the mental picture of pigeons literally exploding, but that's the story for why they stopped throwing uh, rice. And uh, now I don't know what they throw. 
Um, they didn't I, I, anything. change from rice to bubbles. They blow bubbles now, at least where I live. And I just thought it was more fun. If people weren't getting hit on the head with rice and making the mess. I thought bubbles were just more fun. <laughs> yeah, they are more fun, and apparently they're probably less deadly to pigeons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, and I'm sure that somewhere out there, the rice was an old tradition that came from you know, a certain culture. We're throwing that with like rebirth or regeneration or, or something new. Uh, I, I totally, I totally expected a tradition, yeah. but. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, so rice can be messy in a lot of different ways. <laughs> it can. But it, it also has value. Rice can be very nutritious and, and healthy to have. But if we're treating it the right way and, and processing it the right way, we don't want to just have raw rice. We can't eat that. It's not good for us. But if we have it cooked and in a meal and we've got the whole grain on it, and, you know, it can be very good and the basis for a lot of cultures' food. And so let's, let's turn that into an analysis of our communicating and harboring resentment. Resentment, I, I truly, truly believe that feelings are meant to be felt. That's one of my very core values. Um, when I was having the quads, and I was on bed rest, I had a friend coming over every Thursday, she'd take pictures of my growing silly. And one day she's like, why are you still smiling? I was like, well, I'm supposed to be happy. I asked for a blessing and I've been extra blessed and I've got all these kids coming and life is great. And she said, no, you are in a stressful situation. You're having quadruplets, you're stuck in bed. Aren't you like sad or stressed or something? And I was like, nope, I'm just full of gratitude. Everybody's helping me all the time. And she said, Leah, feelings are meant to be felt. Stop ignoring your feelings. And I was like, oh, okay, I have permission to cry. I have permission to experience, not just be like in awe of miracles and have gratitude, but I have permission to experience the whole experience. And resentment and all these negative feelings, feelings are meant to be felt. It's part of the process that when we when we harbor them and don't process them, that's when it becomes a problem, really. If we can um, like use the forgiveness languages, layer on and improve our communicating and change our frame and do all this work, in the end, we end up with a bowl full of cooked healthy rice as part of our meal. And that's what we want to do with our resentment. We want to process it. That's an excellent point. I, I see examples in my own life where you don't you don't want built up resentment, but when those little things when when those little things come about that cause it, it's that's oh I see this oh this is this could turn bigger and you know, let's not be passive aggressive about this let's be upfront with the person, and you get into that communication and you express those emotions and you do so with them knowing that you know also with them coming from a place that emotions are meant to be felt and seeing your point of view. They don't necessarily have to always agree with it. They might not at all. But at least if they can just walk a second in your shoes and see it from your from your vantage point and say, okay, I can see how you see it that way, and I'm sorry I made you feel that way. And how can we, what can we do? Let's set an intention for the next time this occurs. What can we do where we both can meet in the middle and we're both happy with the results? Uh, whether it's a relationship or a family member or a friend or a business partner. I mean, th- th- that kind of myth methodology would would be way better 
of a way to interact with people than it would be to just keep trying to comply and noticing that the rights just keep multiplying until it's stuck in the yes. cupboard everywhere. I love how all of your I love how all of your programs and, and your mindset just really, like you know, all the programs really do build upon one another and come back and, and do a full circle. Was that intentional when this first started or is this just sort of your bountiful spirit and what's been manifested through your energy? It just is making itself the way it is. You know, I I do a lot on intuition and prayer. I I come from having quadruplets. That's you can't ever have a big mind of miracles happen and what else is there for me. And I I just get inspired and I think one of the key things that I've learned from my time management and all of these other experiences is when I get an impression, it's time to act on it. And that is just kind of built itself. I view myself as um, like a mode of transportation for all this information that God wants the people to have. That's an awesome mentality to take. I love that. Yes, that's very beautiful. And so it lead perfectly into my favorite part of the show, my, my last two questions. Um, these are the ones that I ask all of the guests who come on the show. Before we do that, I just want to take the time to honor you and thank you for taking the time out of what I can only assume is an insanely busy day with six children, you know, from some the ages, would you say they're now 12, 14? Yes. So 12, 14, 12. and 16. My, my four are 12, and then I have a, a 14, almost 15-year-old boy. His birthday's next month. And then I have a boy that just turned 16. You have got to be an insanely busy woman. You've got all these programs you're building. You're on top of building the manipulation. You've written a book. You've got the radio show. I just wanted to thank you so much for carving out a slice of time for us to have this conversation today. It's been eye-opening. It's given me a lot of uh, really great ideas for how I can start to layer my communication, reframe what's going on around me, and, and just, you know, really be able to communicate with those that are closest to me better so that my life can move more fluidly. And I would really like to see this time management thing get on lockdown for myself. <laughs> Thank you for all of that. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's been an honor. So last few questions. Um, the show's called Everything's Interesting because I truly do find everything interesting. I cannot wait to interview someone who comes from a family that has made shovels for 350 years because I know that person exists and I will find them. And it's one of the reasons I started this show is because I find everyone has an interesting story if it's told right. And what you do is insanely interesting. So I want to know what is it that you've learned through building these programs, writing this book, perhaps it's with the four quads and, and the interactions with your other children, what is it that you found through all of the stuff that you've manifested in your life that is the most interesting? The most interesting of everything. And you can you can simplify it because I think I got a little out of control with that question right there. <laughs> it could just be about your manipulation program. It could be about the, the layers of languages. It could be about reframing. But it's like some you know there's something that captivates you. Perhaps it's the whole idea of your work that and and where you're heading towards it. But you know what is interesting so much that that's what fuels you to do it every day. All right, this is what it is. I am more than my layers, and so is everyone else. We are so much more than we think we are. We are capable of so much more than we can even dream of. 
And if we trust ourselves and trust that other people are doing their best, they're just doing their best that they know how, and we can learn together that we're more than who we think we are. That is awesome. <laughs> That's a great message. And it really and it really sinks with the theme for this season that today is the day to start making that change because we are more than we think we are. We 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 have the ability to change at a moment's notice if we choose to. The conscious mind and the unconscious mind get on the same page. You can say, I'm no longer gonna act this way, I'm no longer gonna treat myself this way, I'm no longer gonna treat others around me this way. You can make that change. You just have to realize that that op that because we're making choices every single day. And sometimes we get ourselves, at least for me, I used to get myself in this thing, well, I don't really have a choice. I have to do this. This is the way I've always done it. I'm going to do it this way because what I'm used to. And once I broke myself of that pattern and realized I'm making this choice, how do I really want to make this choice right now? I may have been doing it this way for the last 22 years, but it doesn't mean that I have to continue to make this choice. And once I, once I realized that the power was within me and had been in me all along, which like Dorothy and the Red Ruby Slippers, you know, it's like that power had always been inside of me. And it was just time for me to finally unlock that box and pull it out yes. and use it. Can I share one more really fascinating thing? Absolutely. You can't leave in with that with saying that and expect me to say no. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I have recently learned as I'm studying a manipulation piece there is more than just choice. Choice, there's always a choice, right? Even if there seems to be only one choice, you can choose if you're going to take that choice or not. There's always a choice. Freedom is a step up from that. That's having more than one choice with more than one outcome. So you can choose which direction you're going to go. And the place we want to be is in agency. And this is where the improved communication is really key because you have the freedom with more than one choice and more than one outcome. But when you step into agency, you have enough information to, uh, about all the choices that are available to make an informed choice. And that's the key to ending manipulation. I've heard people discussing freedom and agency, and I still you know, can't wrap my head completely around that idea. Uh, I think it's just pulling back and, you know, uh, like we like we learned in that workshop we met at, you know, you could, or you wanted to look at things meta or Milton, you know, high up or, you know, are you, are you, are you wide focused or narrow focused? For me, whenever I've noticed my life not working out as well as it could, maybe there's an incongruency in what I'm doing or what I want to be doing or what I'm saying or thinking or what I want to be saying or thinking, it's because I'm too narrow and I'm not stepping back and using my peripheral vision to see everything. I mean, your map is not the territory. It doesn't mean that you cannot take that time to step outside of yourself and start to go all around and look at more of the territory. Now your map is bigger, and now you have a, a better idea of what's in the sense of what's going on around you so that you can truly manifest what's going to be positive for not just yourself but for your village and your world. Great. Yeah. It's a great mentality. Cannot wait to check that out. So we're going to leave you in the last question. You're on a stage. You are the keynote speaker to the world. Everyone can hear you. They can understand what you're saying. The, the languages have no, no issue here. You're on the stage. What is the final message you would want the world to hear from you before you drop the mic, everyone stands up, they applaud you off the stage, and, 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 you, and you smile and wave off? What is that message that you'd want them to know from Lydia Taggart? 
Well, it's, it's got to be the same one that I said a minute ago, that you are amazing, and I want you to step into your power, take that action, stand up for yourself, find out what it is you want to stand up for, and go do it. If you don't think anybody else in the world supports you, you got me. I believe in you, and I know you can do it. That's awesome. That makes me smile just hearing you say that. <laughs> thank you. And, you know, thank you. Yes, and they should they should truly that from you because you're just such a warm, endearing person. I, I just again I honor you and thank you for being on the show. You have great messages out there. I'm gonna put all the links so people can find out more about you and your programs. You have a website. You've got a book and an ebook and multiple programs. There's so much that you've done. I can't wait to watch you. Uh, continue to just grow and develop more and, and bring more people into your, your sphere of influence because you've got a really powerful message and a great energy about you. It's, it's very abundant and it, and it shows. So thank you again. Thank you so much, Jesse.